Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi there, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for joining us on this week's The Athletic Football Tactics podcast. It's the usuals, me, Ali Maxwell, and these two, Michael Cox and Tom Warville. Tom, how are you this week? Have you been enjoying some Tuesday night action in the UEFA Champions League? We record this on Wednesday morning. I'm interested to know how you spent your Tuesday night. Hello, Ali. Uh, yes, all good. Um, I was in the pub last night with the company of, of Michael and a few other athletic people watching uh, the Liverpool game. Um, and the, there's a weird, um, sh- I mean, high share of athletic employees, I guess, are either Spurs fans or Liverpool fans. So if you if you meet one of them, you're highly likely that they're, they're one of the two. But there was a, a good group of Liverpool fans in there. And uh, yeah, they uh, they got the result that they wanted. It's like that phrase that in London you're never more than three feet away from a rat or in the athletic offices (laughs) (laughs) never more than three feet away from a Liverpool or a Tottenham fan Uh, Michael um, were you in the pub watching the Champions League I believe you guys had some uh, some athletic office football action for the first time in in quite some time how did that go and who are the star players in the athletic ranks I think is what I certainly want to know and I think probably quite a lot of the listeners as well yeah, it's my my first five aside or six aside since um, since before the pandemic. So I think rusty is the word there. A lot of practice needed. Uh, I don't know if there were any particular standout individuals. I thought it was quite a, quite a high quality game. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to name check anyone as particularly outstanding. I don't know who I would give man of the match to. Okay, that's a bit boring, but fine. We'll move <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm excited about our uh, podcast topic this week because we're trying something a little bit new and I think it could be quite good fun. Now it's Michael's brainchild really, Michael's main idea and when Michael told me that this week was about a team bonding exercise I thought brilliant we're getting that weekend in San Sebastian that we spoke about many moons ago or at the very least trying our hand at an escape room or something more classically uh, team bonding. Then he said no no Ali it's a team building exercise. And Michael, I think it's one that needs a little bit of explanation. So could you introduce the topic and where it's come from? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when it comes to, um, you know, last week we, we talked about Newcastle and and the fact that they have been taken over with uh, the expectation of new funds. Um, I mean, where should they strengthen, for example? Where is required? If you're trying to avoid relegation, as Newcastle probably are this season, in what positions do you need to be strong and in what positions can you afford a weakness? And the same thing can be applied to the top of the table. For example, Manchester United, I think are a good example, a very obvious example, of a side with great quality in some positions and a big weakness in a couple of others. And uh, yeah, there's, I think there's different ways to approach this. There's some kind of theoretical academic papers about... Um, the impact on performance when you have weaknesses in certain positions. And there's also the historical examples of of previous Premier League title winners, for example, 
who I think rarely have 11 top-class players. And mm. usually there's a couple of, not necessarily passengers, but less less able players who are there to do a job rather than to be a star. So you expanded on this in an article on the site not too long ago. It was called, In Which Positions Can a Team Have a Glaring Weakness But Still Win the Premier League Title? As you mentioned, almost inevitably it came from you thinking about this current Manchester United squad and, and whether it had the balance needed. And you did go back and look at historical or historic Premier League title winning teams. So, so how many would you say had no obvious weaknesses? I think it's very rare. I think you'd be going back maybe to Manchester United 2008 and 2009 in particular, where I just thought they had quality. They had a brilliant goalkeeper, great defence, lots of midfielders who could control the ball, a rotating band of very quick, versatile attackers. And I think particularly after they brought in Berbatov, because maybe their weakness in 2008 was they didn't really have a penalty box striker. After they brought in Berbatov, I think they were very complete. I think every team after that, you can say there are a couple of positions where they needed to upgrade. And maybe the closest to a really complete side in recent years would be uh, the Liverpool team that won the league. But yeah, I think it's rare that you'd say a title winner is complete in every position. And you're not the first person to consider the question, where do you need the extra quality in your team and where can you afford weaknesses? As you mentioned, you have uh, turned to the Warville side of things and you you did find an academic paper written on this very topic. What were the uh, main conclusions there? Yeah, I went back and looked at an academic paper by the late Gary Gillard, who is someone we've mentioned a few times on this podcast before, um, who sadly died last year. Um, But in 2018, he sent me a paper that he'd written for the Journal of Sports Economics that was basically comparing teams who had an even distribution of talent throughout their team and teams where they had some very good players and some less good players, shall we say. Um, and one of his conclusions, and I'm kind of summarising or uh, yeah, choosing a couple of key phrases, was um, attacking benefits from heterogeneity. Conversely, heterogeneity has a detrimental effect on defending and heterogeneous teams tend to leak goals. A weak link in the defence is a constant vulnerability which can be exploited by the opposition. And that suggests more or less that the quality of your attack is defined by your best player and the quality of your defence is defined by your worst player, which I think makes sense. I mean, I think Mohamed Salah improves a relegation battler more than Van Dijk does because I think if you've got a great attacker, you can channel your attack through him. If you've got a great defender, he can't cover for everyone. And along the similar lines, if you were to put me up front for Liverpool, I still think Salah and Mane would score quite a lot of goals and Liverpool would be quite good. I don't think I'd ruin things completely. But I think if you put me in place of Van Dijk, um, yeah, I think the opposition would target me and, and would score a lot of goals. And based on all this chat, I'm going to set you guys to work later. The the aforementioned team building exercise, which we will get to. Uh, Tom, football is not fantasy football in real life. Squad building is not quite fantasy football. But these sorts of questions are A, right up your street and B, absolutely how teams have to think in terms of long-term recruitment planning. Yeah, completely. I think there's a an interesting angle that teams are now trying to be more efficient with their budget allocation and, and try and optimise which positions they should spend in. And I think that this conversation, you know, plays really nicely into that because if you are coming up to the summer, you don't really have any positions which are in, you know, urgent need of, of uh, renewal or, or replacement. How do you go about actually making the team better? Um, do you make 
your kind of worst player and improve them or do you kind of increase the level of your your best player even though that obviously costs a lot more so um yeah there are obvious kind of implications of of this challenge that you're setting uh on you know what teams are actually trying to do uh, in real football it's a good point isn't it michael premier league title winning teams is next summer transfer window is quite an interesting topic in itself how do you build on a team that has just been the best team in the country it's something that many teams have struggled with over the years and and in, invariably there's a bit of outcome bias isn't there if that team then doesn't retain the title something went wrong the summer before they either didn't add in the positions they needed to or they added the wrong players and sometimes it does get boiled down and simplified a little bit like that but it's a fascinating recruitment question you know how do you improve on a team that's been the best yeah, I think it's very hard to improve a title winner. I think it's a good thing in a way that teams have struggled because we don't have the situation in Italy or, or Germany where team win the league again and again, which I think is very bad. Um, but yeah, Manchester City, I think in particular, those two years uh, where they won the title before Guardiola arrived, so 2012 and 2014, they didn't strengthen well after that. They tried to, I think, beef up their squad. They tried to go for strength and depth. But, uh, but didn't really improve the actual starting eleven, And I think that's a tough thing to do for a manager to be celebrating a league title while also thinking, I need to make some upgrades. But tends to be the best managers throughout history, most obviously Sir Alex Ferguson um, have done that more successfully. Why don't we get stuck into our, our team building exercise, the, the main part of this podcast, because uh, I've set you both to task here. Uh, you're both building two teams. Uh, we've mainly been talking about how do you build a title winning team and how do you improve on one? Uh, and that is going to be one aspect of it. But we didn't just want to, to make it easy for you. Uh, but we're also going to ask you to build a team that is expected to battle for relegation. That's uh, objective is to survive in the Premier League. So for the first title winning team that we've got you to build, we allowed you 44 points to spend, for want of a better phrase. For the relegation battling team, you have 22 points to spend. We wanted to make it uh, realistic and, and those teams generally have uh, less resources available in recruitment to the teams uh, towards the very top. Now, I'm hoping we get two quite different approaches here. Michael, obviously, in writing that piece, has studied Premier League title winners historically. He'll have some ideas about how to build a squad, perhaps based on that. And Tom, we're hoping we'll apply some intensely smart data analytics to the question. Uh, but Michael, first and foremost, I said 44 points for the title challengers, 22 points for the relegation strugglers. Can you just talk us through the values? Each player has a value between one and five. And we had to sort of go back and forth a little bit to decide what level each number meant. Yeah, so theoretically, I mean, it's uh, there's five different categories of player. A five out of five player is obviously a world-class player. A one out of five player would be bottom of the Premier League. So broadly speaking, we're saying a one out of five player is Norwich level, two out of five is Southampton level, three out of five is Everton level, four out of five is Arsenal level, and five out of five is Liverpool level. And just to back up that, the odds for those sides to win the league at the moment are 5,000 to one, 2,000 to one, 500 to one, 150 to one, and three to one. And I think they're sides who broadly have an even distribution of, of talent throughout their side. Okay, so without further ado, let's see how this goes. We're going to start with Michael. Uh, you're building a title-winning side here. You've got 44 points to use on 11 players, so the average would be four out of five. Now, hopefully you don't have four out of five for your full starting 11, otherwise this podcast could be incredibly short. Uh, I'm hoping that you've been a little more thoughtful in assembling your team to win the title. Would you like to talk us through it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, first and foremost, I, 
I thought maybe you could consider, because you're a good team and because you probably won't have many shots to save, I, I did think about maybe trying to save some some money, essentially, in goal. But actually, I looked through the last, uh, last decade, the title winners. The goalkeepers have been Czech, Van der Sar, Joe Hart, when he was a very good goalkeeper, De Gea, Courtois, Schmeichel, Edison and Allison. You don't have anything less than real quality in that position. So, I mean, I, I kind of go back to what I said about Gary Gillard's paper in the sense that I don't think you want any weaknesses in your defence. So the most boring bit of my side is the bat line. I think mm-hmm. just a four, out of, a four out of five player in goal and in all four of the, the back four positions, I think is basically the way to go. I don't necessarily think you want a real standout centre-back and then a weak left-back or something like that. I've just got quality across the board. It's interesting because you, you know, this is hard to do in the exercise that we're taking on here. But in the piece, you did mention that central defensive pairings for uh, for Premier League title winners have quite clearly been all about partnerships, really, and not necessarily based on the individual quality of the players. There are some who are obvious stars, uh, and there are some who you look back ten years later and you think, ah. Oh, they won a Premier League title as part of a, a back two, uh, as part of a central defensive pairing. Decent. Yeah, the partnership is the key, isn't it? I think City last year were a good example of that. John Stones, the previous year or two, had really been on the fringes of the side and some expected him to leave. But then when they brought in Ruben Diaz, who's just a very kind of strong, physical, muscular, slightly old school centre-back, Stones was suddenly really perfect for playing alongside him. So yeah, they had the balance there. So you're playing four at the back. Can you just quickly chat us through the formation? Have you thought about general team strategy and style? I mean, you're going for the title. There's there's a certain way one should probably play, and I'm sure you're not moving too far away from that. No, just a simple four-two-three-one. I've got, but uh, yeah, back four. I think uh, made most sense. And double pivot. Yeah. So further forward, there's a bit more variation in the centre of midfield. I think rather than just having two four out of ten players, you're best off with a real superstar who can try and dictate and dominate the game and then I think alongside him you can have a little bit of a a runner almost someone who maybe does the dirty work and and yeah plays a bit of a subordinate role so a little bit more of a, a contrast in that position and then the same thing for going further forward I mean almost a front four I think again rather than just a consistent quality of player throughout that attacking unit you're best off loading up on a couple of real superstars have two five out of five players one four out of five player and then actually the only two out of five player so mm. I, I think in your front four you can afford someone who um basically does a job for the team often in that kind of situation they're kind of going to be tracking back more they're going to be tucking inside they're going to be making sure the side aren't uh, vulnerable to counterattacks. but I, I, you know i think it's, it's it's this is this is a winger right one of your wide yeah, positions almost certainly a wing i think in some situations maybe you might have two real superstars out wide and your player who's in the number 10 position plays a bit more of a, a workman like role but it's very rare for a team to win a title without one or generally two real world class attacking players and i think it's you know if you have a good manager who can who can manage everything efficiently um I think it's worthwhile. And I suppose my inspiration here, and I understand they're a bit of an anomaly, but Leicester City, when you look at the way they played, a very solid back four, no real standout players, but there was almost partnerships. I'd say there was three partnerships in the midfield and attack. There was 
Okazaki and Vardy. Vardy had a fantastic season. Okazaki really just doing a job. Mm-hmm. Kante and Drinkwater. We know Kante is a world-class player. Drinkwater actually had a good season, but you'd say was was less of a, a superstar. And then I think particularly out wide, you wouldn't re- usually think of that as a partnership. But I mean, Mara is one player of the year. And on the other flank, Albright, and again, had a very good season, but was playing a completely different role to Mara's. He was deeper. He was tucking inside more. He was defending more. And that's the kind of balance that I think is, you know, less, we know Leicester didn't have quality across the side. If you average out that starting 11, it wasn't a, the average quality wasn't a title winning player. But they had five, well, four real superstars, Vardy, Mara's, Kante and Schmeichel in key positions. And around that had one solid defence with no, particular weak individual mm-hmm. and and two players in those partnerships who could play the balancing role which you know I think that's the kind of thing that this is all about just for the purposes of my notes I've got you with uh, five four out of five players uh, one in goal and four at the back to start with uh, then your two in the four two three one a five and a three a, a star and a water carrier if you will <laughs> I've got a, a two out of five out wide a Southampton level player uh, for this title winning side in your terms um, I've got a 5 out of 5 a superstar uh, in the other wide position probably a large goal threat you would imagine uh, and then between the 10 and the striker who's who would you rather have as a 5 your number 10 pure creator with a 4 out of 5 striker uh, or a 5 out of 5 striker with a 4 out of 5 number 10 let's go for a 5 out of 5 number 10 because I think they influence the game more but again I think that can be a partnership I think it can work either way I think you can find examples of, of strikers who basically do the running and play a hold up role for a star player just behind um, but yeah can work either way well, you're true to form because one of the big takeaways from the article that you wrote was that very particularly you felt the central midfield positions were where glaring weakness was not acceptable, was not conducive to title winning teams. So here you've got a five and a three with a five in the 10 position. That's uh, There's plenty going on there for you. Yeah, I mean, that's I suppose that was really part of the reason why the article was uh, written around Manchester United because central midfield is not an error. I looked back through every Premier League title winner and the areas where I don't think any sides had a glaring weakness were, I mean, definitely central midfield everyone had at least one really good central midfielder and usually a goalkeeper as well. There's a couple of examples where there have been injuries to top-class goalkeepers, but um, yeah, in general, goalkeeper and central midfielder, I don't think you can really have a weakness. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time to welcome Tom Warville to the podium. Been sitting quietly, been been musing on Michael Cox's take on Leicester City, his 2014-15 side. Uh, and I'm really interested to hear how you, how you approach this, Tom. I just have one question about 
the goalkeeper spot more generally because hard to argue with what Michael said about the goalkeepers who have won the Premier League titles in the last 10, 15 years or so. I wonder if in data analytics terms, you could talk us through whether there's been work done on, let's say, the difference between a goalkeeper who's the best in the league versus league average or perhaps league average versus the worst goalkeeper in the league. What sort of thing are we talking about in terms of goals prevented and therefore points won, I guess, ultimately, which which has to be what this is all about uh, for, for, for the goalkeeping position? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I haven't really seen too much about kind of translating the difference between the goals you, you concede and, and what you'd expect to concede and that, that number, whether it's, you know, plus six or minus six. I've not really seen it converted into points um, too often just because I think it's a difficult thing to try and pinpoint mm. like which saves one or lost certain points or what that means on average I, I imagine that you could you could work that out but um I think usually it's between the realm just not really going off anything scientific just from memory that the worst keeper in the league is usually worth uh, around you know minus six minus eight goals versus the average keeper and the best is usually worth something similar to that as well okay. um, and these are usually guys who, who play most of the minutes in a season two um so that could yeah, be I, quite a crucial difference between a side that concedes, let's say, 28 goals in 38 Premier League games and has potentially the best defensive record in the league or 36 goals in 38 games, still less than a goal a game, but perhaps not quite strong enough to, to really give them the platform to dominate. Yeah, I think uh, I thought quite a lot about kind of the goal- goalkeeper position in this exercise because do you care more about a a good shot stopper who's probably not going to face that many shots anyway for a title winning side or do you care more about having a better kind of 10 players ahead of him that are going to suppress more shots and make his job a bit easier and I think for a title winning side at the margins you probably still want at least a a 4 out of 5 rated keeper Mm -hmm. Um, you could maybe argue that you get a a 3 out of 5 rated keeper and shuffle that extra point that you've you've gained elsewhere um, probably strengthen the back line somewhere but um, I've gone for a number four out of five at the back just because I think that it's probably worthwhile that at the margins, you know, you look at an Edison, you look at an Allison, you look at perhaps not title winning, but, you know, David De Gea's form this year, Edouard Mendy, uh, another example. These are all keepers who are definitely kind of, you know, in that four out of five, perhaps the five out of five mm. spots. Um, and I think for a title winning side, I mean, we're thinking with a goalkeeper, it's more than just saving shots. Uh, when Man City... Um, got Pep in. They obviously replaced Joe Hart with with Bravo, and Bravo was about as good as his feet as uh, as good with his hands. Sorry, as, as Joe Hart was as good with his feet. Um, I think they, those two were probably you know threes in this exercise. So getting someone that's a four that can do a bit of both, I think, is really really important, both stylistically and also just skills wise. They're actually a, a good goalkeeper. Any difference in formation compared to Michael? Talk us through your backline, your defensive structure. Yeah, so the, you can probably sense a bit of a theme of, of the team that I've modelled this around, but I've gone for a 4-3-3. Um, hmm. And I, again, I mean, I've gone for to, uh, the two fullbacks, which are four four out of fives. Um, and I've flitted between having the two centre-backs, either a four and a four, because I'm thinking injury-wise, if you get an injury to, to the four, the one that's remaining, the, the kind of quality drop-off isn't as high mm. but I've gone for a, a five and a three because I, I'm imagining there's some sort of synergy effect of you have one world-class centre-back which can organise the rest of the back uh, and perhaps you know bring bring the quality up 
of the the players around him. It's um, Virgil Van Dyke. It's Virgil go. Van Dyke. <laughs> but I, I do think. I mean, I'll say that's what it is. But I think maybe there is a, another big argument the other side. You know, to say if he, you know, you see what happened last year. He got injured. If Liverpool had two, four out of fives at the back instead of a five at the back and a three, which is probably what Matip is, would they have been in as disastrous a position as they have been? Mm. Um, and it's maybe the same as well for for Leicester City. You know. Wesley Fofana's forty million pounds for a twenty-year-old, which is a lot of money. When if you bought two twenty million pound centre backs for them, is that arguably a better allocation of, of resources, mm. um, or at least another you know two twenty twenty million pound players in the squad it doesn't have to potentially be a centre back. Mm. Um, so that's my my back line. Um, in midfield, I've gone for uh, a three, a four, and a four, and that's mainly so I can save another point to go forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I think it's it's good to have a, a balance there. You're probably only as good as your worst player in that midfield, but having a you know a three, um, I can't remember which team we said is the kind of you know the Everton Everton level, level. But, yeah. Um, perhaps yeah, don't really want Andre Gomez in there, but yeah, that kind of Everton maybe a Decore. Yeah, exactly. A, a Decore is a you know a nice player to, to have in there. Um, I would say as well that I do think the distribution of points within teams can differ as well but that's a whole different podcast um <laughs> and then up front i think i've gone for just one of the spots as a five i'm undecided as to which it's probably you know you can have the left wing as a five or maybe the strikers a five but i think uh, you know five four four across the front line just to give you that extra kind of star power up there uh, alongside two other players who are just very good as well so i think to win a title you need to be better going forwards and, and scoring more goals than you are at the back. I think most title-winning sides, which we've discussed, are usually very, very solid going forwards, and that's kind of how I've modelled my team in, in this exercise. It's interesting to me that uh, Michael referenced the, the paper by the late and great Gary Gillard, and his takeaway seemed to be that the weak link in defence was something to very much avoid, and that's why Michael had fours across the board. You've you've got a three in your defence, and he also said that you probably is uh, your quality of attack is defined by your best player. Michael's got two fives in his front four and a two, <laughs> the only two in the in either of these title winning sides, uh, and you've kept it a little bit more uniform with a three four and four in midfield and a four four five. That is a, a pretty spicy front line you've got there. Um, okay, so I mean enough difference for me to think this has been a worthwhile exercise but not enough that you guys are clearly um, completely opposed about how to build a, a title winning team do you think in general football analysis and um, punditry I suppose probably the best word for what I'm trying to say there's a desire to pick out one of two centre-backs in a partnership as being the better one and do you wonder whether potentially just due to some sort of outcome bias we lean towards the the dominant one the ball winning one you know, I, I sometimes I think we've spoken about it before with Tom. You sometimes feel a little bit bad for the uh, the, the non-alpha centre back in a partnership because they're not going to they're not going to be at the top of the the stats for interceptions, for aerial duels, for tackles, whatever it might be. And uh, they kind of play the more passive role. Uh, and I wonder sometimes whether those sorts of players get less credit almost by default, which again doesn't quite feel fair. Yeah, I think you're right. I can think of a few examples of that. Maybe not title-winning sides, but kind of mid-table teams. I remember when Fulham were punching above their weight and got to the Europa League final, they had Hangeland and Aaron Hughes. I mean, Hangeland was a very good centre-back, don't get me wrong. But because he was so physical and dominant in the air, I think he got the attention, whereas Aaron Hughes was actually a really good, intelligent partner for him. 
I used to think of Gareth McCauley as a bit like that, often played alongside physical players like Jonas Olsen, but often I thought he was better. And I think someone like Johnny Evans has taken people most of his career to work out how good Johnny Evans is, but I thought he was always excellent at Manchester United alongside Vidic or Ferdinand. Okay, he tailed off in his last couple of years there, probably needed to move. But yeah, players like that, I think, do slightly go under the radar. And often it's the... Personally, it's often the the centre-backs who don't do noticeable things that I... I really, I like watching and I think are undervalued. I think of um, uh, Christensen at Chelsea like that, you know, a player who I think, again, probably took a while before people realised how good he was because he's not as uh, obvious as, I suppose, John Terry or Gary Mm. Cahill or some of those other, David Luiz, you know, some of those other Chelsea centre-backs in recent years. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So uh, let's move on to the relegation battle side that you both need to build. And just lastly, on your title-winning sides, it's interesting to me uh, and maybe reflective of uh, of your two personalities that Michael's gone with more extremes. He's got two in his team, which Warville has, <laughs> has uh, completely ignored, but he has got three superstars, whereas Warville's only got two in his side. Um, quite interesting stuff, I think. We're going to give you 22 points, half of the budget, uh, and your sole objective is to avoid relegation. And we studied how to survive last year. Then we studied how to stay up in your second season last year. It's a topic that we've um, spent quite a lot of time on that particularly I'm very interested in as someone who, who covers the championship closely and uh, is, is keen to get a better grasp on which championship promotion sides uh, are well set to stay up and which aren't because it's not always as easy as who won the title with more points and more goals and fewer conceded. Uh, but in this instance, 22 points, so an average of two out of five for your starting 11. Uh, again, the question is, do you fill your team with two out of five players and hope that that means you're slightly better than uh, than the bottom three? Or do you vary it? Uh, well, let's start with Tom. You can go first this time. I, th- I think it's, it's, uh, it's trickier to go second. Uh, why don't you run us through how you started this one? Yeah, so I've gone for a 4-1-4-1. And I just think that means that you can probably... You know, you've got five in midfield, which from a kind of defensive point of view is useful and, and more often than not, you're going to be defending in a, in a relegation fight against most teams. Um, and I think that I'm trying to gear it a bit towards um, being good at defending and with, you know, with that in mind, how do we cope under those under that pressure? So I've gone for a three in goal and I think that's because when I think of, um, you know, Burnley with Nick Pope, Palace with Vicente Gaeta, um Martin Dubravka when he's fit I think that you're going to be facing a lot of shots mm. and you need a above average goalkeeper to kind of bail you out I was going to say it's worth, it's worth pointing out because we've just been talking about a situation where four out of five is the average you picking a three out of five in goal is above the average of your of your sort of per player budget so we, we have yep. to recalibrate a little bit how we're, how we're rating these players three out of five strong goalkeeper yeah absolutely I think it's because like I said you're, you're going to be busy in goal you're going to have to do a lot of work um, and I think having someone again at, at the margins who's 
better than average. Uh, I don't think as a collective you can do too much in terms of, for the outfielders, do too much collectively in terms of suppressing the number of shots and the quality of shots that you, you're facing because realistically you're, you're capped by the amount of talent you can have because mm-hmm. um, of such a low point allocation. So, yeah, I've gone for a three and goal. Um, and then across the bat line, uh, I've <laughs> so I've mixed it up a little bit. So I've gone for two centre-backs, which are both twos, just because I think that you need someone who's just you know, average to control the centre of the pitch. Um, and then at the left-back, I've gone for a one, and right-back, I've gone for a two. Why is it um, always the left-backs? Still, <laughs> still <laughs> getting, getting marginalised. Subconsciously, yeah, I'm, I'm slandering the left-backs there, but... I've gone for that because I think it's probably good to kind of share around the weaknesses across the team. I could either have like a really strong right side, a really weak left side and vice versa. Um, but in midfield, I've gone for a two at left mid and a one at right mid. So your average <laughs> on those flanks are three. Uh, well, no, your average is one and a half, but you, your combined is, is kind of a three across those two players. Um, so you're kind of sharing where the weakness is. Um, so it means that, you know, going forward on the left are probably slightly better. Defending on the right was slightly better. Um, maybe that that asymmetry is easy to attack, um, but I thought given we're probably doubling up a lot at the back and defending a lot because of the the team that we are, those uh, that kind of you know imbalance will be masked a little bit. Mm-hmm. In midfield, then I've gone for a defensive midfielder who's a three, uh, and the two other central midfielders are twos apiece. And I think that's because you need a kind of real leader at defensive midfielder. You need someone who can. Um, Coordinate with the back line and the midfield um, is a good individual ball winner. And I think of someone like a Declan Rice in that situation who he himself probably isn't a three, but if we're going by kind of this scoring system, he's probably around that. Uh, And I think that, you know, someone who can do a a bit of everything in there would be handy. Uh, And then the twos um, are just, you know, league average players who can do a job in that situation. And that Um, leaves you with one up top. And I think... he a is a two. Yeah, two, yeah. Good. I'm glad that our maths uh, <laughs> checks out. Um, wouldn't play darts with each other. Uh, yeah, I've gone for a, a two up front. I just think, I mean, I've got no points from elsewhere. Um, I think we've done the, the kind of relegation pod previously, and I think that having a kind of better defence is more important to stave off relegation than having a very good striker. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that is... Uh, is my team. A strong core, you have to say, or at least a core that lacks weakness, maybe more specifically, in that your ones are at left back and at right midfield, uh, your threes, your your best players are in goal and sitting in front of the back four. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the two centre-backs, the two centre midfielders and the striker, all two out of five sort of average players for, for what we're discussing, for the level that we're trying to, to reach here. Uh, the 4 yeah. one 4 one not the most exciting thing I've ever seen, Tom. Um, but uh, it, you know, we're not here to excite; we're here to survive. On that, like you could try and think of something a bit more exciting, but I think this is a separate thing. Of you know, the coaches for a lot of these relegation threat sides are the ones that they turn a one to a two and a two to a three at times mm-hmm. based on their system. You know, Dyche, Hodgson, bailing Palace out year after year when the quality of that squad was wasn't very good. Um, so I think that the differentiator more often than not isn't. Uh, it probably is, you know, covering your weaknesses in an exercise like this, but it's also can you get a coach who is is well drilled and that can actually um, make the most of them and and turn a twenty two point squad into a, a twenty four point squad um, points in this exercise, not in the league table because you're getting relegated on 
24 points. What you're saying is if you were hiring a manager, they would be at least a three out of five in the dugout and therefore uh, improving the quality of your side by default. Uh, Michael, one thing I didn't want to bring up, but I will now, is that one of the things we spoke about on the podcast about staying up in your first league in the Premier League and any themes and trends from the last 10 years or so was in having quite an unusual tactical style. Uh, a team like Sheffield United in their first season under Chris Wilder, Marcelo Bielsa's leads, of course, thrived uh, in, a, in a style that I, I suppose kind of bloodied the nose of, of more established Premier League sides. I, I wonder if of the three, maybe it's easy to say because they're clearly the best of the three so far, but Brentford, we've spoken a little bit, having an unusual style and perhaps you wouldn't say that about Watford and Norwich City. Now for this sort of points allocation, fantasy football style draft, I'm not going to pin a tactical style on you, but that was just something that sprung to mind when I thought about the differences between building a title winning side and a side that's going to be battling against relegation. Yeah, I had a slightly different approach to building my team for survival. Uh, if two out of five is a standard, I went for two out of fives across the back four. As I said before, I don't think you really want a weakness there. Um, I think you need a good goalkeeper. They're going to have to make a lot of saves probably. Um, and therefore, I think it's worth upgrading in goal. And I also think going back to what we said earlier about that academic paper, if your attack is defined by the quality of your best attacker, I think it's worth actually going nearly all out and having a four out of five attacker there. I think of Grealish at Villa. I think of Zaha at Palace. I think those players elevate their teams to greater heights. And I think it basically works as long as you've got the right structure. So in response to that, I've only got a one out of five up front. I'll have a kind of battering ram who can make the runs and hold the ball up and maybe score seven or eight goals, but is, is by no means a superstar. I think that's fine. Um, and a couple of downgrades to midfield as well. So I've gone for 2-2-1-1 two, two, one, one across midfield. So not a particularly strong midfield, but I think if they can do the job, uh, protect the defence and get the ball to the, uh, the the near superstar with some kind of regularity, I think this team would be all right. Three in goal, four twos across the back four. You've got a, a, num a four out of five, an absolute star man currently in the number 10 position, basically, with, with a one up front. Could you just fill in the blanks for me? Two central midfielders and two wide players. Two, two, one, one across the across the midfield. So I've got a weakness at central midfield and a weakness out wide. Oh, you've put them on the same side as well. The left central midfielder and the left midfielder are an absolute disaster. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. But yeah, again, kind of going back to the, the Leicester thing, looking at it as two partnerships, having, uh, yeah, I don't think you want two <laughs> dreadful wingers and I don't think you want two dreadful central midfielders but if you can balance the weaknesses out a little bit I think you've probably got a, a decent team I think a lot of what you've both said has made a lot of sense and I have found it really interesting um, as a general topic to discuss but then hearing your, your individual thoughts as well very similar theme to our title winning side the differences between your two sides are Michael slightly more at the extreme end, both uh, with a four out of five, a superstar that, that Warville's team is, is missing, or rather not a superstar, that would be five out of five, but a superstar in in, in the relative terms that we're talking about, uh, but also with three one out of five players, very, very poor individuals for the league, uh, whereas Tom just has two key weaknesses in his side. Um, yeah, enjoyed it, genuinely enjoyed it. And probably more so than ever before, this is a podcast where I want to hear from the listeners because... 
I'm afraid I'm one of those people that finds these sorts of exercises bizarrely exciting and interesting. <laughs> anything to do with drafting, anything to do with uh, points allocation. It's just right up my street. Um, so please do get in touch with us. You, you can either tweet us um, and you can find us pretty easily on there. Uh, or you can comment on the podcast episode page on the Athletic site. Especially if you have more creative, more extreme ideas than these two. Those are the ones I'd most like to hear. Um, I'd love to, yeah, I'd like to spend some time over the next few days really going through what people think about this while I muse myself. It is difficult listening to Tom and Michael because they tend to make quite a lot of sense. But I reckon there are some other options out there and I'd be um, really keen to hear about those. So there you go. Uh, A slightly different style of pod this week, a theoretical team building exercise. Where do you need quality in your team and where can you afford weaknesses Once when you're building a title contender and once when you're building a relegation battler. Get in touch with us. It'd be great to hear from you. Um, And if you've got any other ideas on this sort of theme, please do let me know because uh, that's the sort of thing that I will be pushing uh, to form the basis of future episodes of this podcast. We are the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. Uh, Michael Cox and Tom Warville have been providing the goodness on here and outside of the pods, that's what they do every day on the Athletic site. If you'd like to sign up, give it a go so that you can read Michael and Tom's pieces, theathletic.com forward slash tactics. We get you 33% off an annual subscription. There's so much good stuff going on there as well. I'm hoping that one day Michael will make uh, will write a tactical breakdown of one of these office six aside games, but uh, from his answer earlier, it doesn't seem forthcoming anytime soon. Join us next week on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, and thanks so much for listening. The Athletic.